Bible said. Man, what a joy it is to be with you guys this morning. Um, I was sitting there, uh, you know, one of the cool things about getting a, to, to be able to be a guest speaker and uh, being able to preach at my own church, uh, I get to go through the service twice at my home church, and I got to go through the service with you guys twice, so I'm on my second time, so maybe I'll be a little better than I was the first time. But wait, I, I kept, as we kept singing that song this morning in the first service, I kept going, God, why is that so familiar to me? Why is that, God, God why is that so familiar to me? Well, Fish, if you would have remembered in your time with God this morning, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber, slumber, slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Church, where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. Man, it has been a joy to be with your students this weekend. Uh, it has been so much fun to hang out with them and just to worship with them and um, I'm so thankful for the leadership here, so thankful for my relationship with Derek and Wade, and uh, man, it's been a, uh, Brother Frank's been a guy that I've looked up to for a long, long time, and uh, just so cool to get to meet Travis this weekend and just be with your folks, and so thank you for letting me come and be a part of this weekend. Uh, I'm going to uh, ask us to pray, and as we pray, I want you to do something a little different if you don't mind. As I pray for you, I ask you to pray for me. Because uh, I'm a messed up dude. I got tons of junk in my life and issues that I struggle with every day. And, and today, I just want to be used as God's vessel. And I want God to hide me behind the cross this morning so that you don't see me, hear me, or, or, or anything like that. But you see and only hear him. Amen? So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this awesome, awesome opportunity we have to be in your house. God, I'm thankful so much for the point and, God, what they're doing here to reach people across the street and around the world. And, God, I just pray this morning that you would just fill this place up with your presence. Father, I know for those of my friends that have on the same shirt that want to look like me or I want to look like them, God, we have had a great experience this weekend uh, with your presence and, and worshiping you and, and reading your word and studying your word and learning so much about you. And, God, I just pray that you would just overflow that same experience for us this morning. And God, your word says in the Psalms, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in your presence? Only those with clean hands and pure hearts. God, clean us up. Clean me up this morning. God, forgive me of any, un, any unconfessed sin that I have in my life, God, and use me this morning as your vessel. And God, don't let me get in the way. And God, I pray this in the name of Jesus, the one I want to be like when I grow up. And all God's people said, Amen. it was kind of fun. Shannon, where you're sitting, there was a man named Ron. I didn't know his name was Ron at the, at the beginning of the service. And when I shared where I was from, um, or where I currently live, uh, he kind of rumbled a little bit. I found out that Mr. Ron is married to a rebel himself. His wife went to Ole Miss. She's got two degrees from there, but Mr. Ron's a bulldog. And when I told people, I said, I'm from Oxford. I'm a pastor there. I'm a church planner of a church called Community Church. We're about three years old, so I guess that means, wait, I get to call myself a church planner for about one more year, and then I have to call myself a pastor. Really what that means is church, uh, church didn't really want me to be their pastor, so I had to go start my own. Um, um, and so this morning, uh, you need to thank your leadership for allowing me to come and preach because I'm really not that good of a preacher, but, um, they didn't have anybody else to find. No, the, the point I'm making is, is that's what I do. And I serve in Oxford. And so for half of the room in this, uh, this morning, you just kind of went, oh. 
one of them. I grew up in Cleveland. I'm a Delta boy, so don't hold that against me either, but I'm actually a fighting okra, all right? That's where I went to school. Um, I'm a statesman, and uh, yeah, hey, I got some love up in the room. That's what I'm talking about. Um, that never happens no matter where I go, but that's awesome. So anyway, long story short, I live in Oxford, and so for some of you, you think I'm in God's country, which I'll go ahead and tell you, God's country is so much better than that. Heaven's going to be a lot greater than Oxford, okay? But for others, there are many of you that think I'm a missionary to an unreached people group. So it doesn't matter which group of people people that you find yourself in. Wait a minute now. Oh, y'all were saying y'all were praying for us missionaries is what you were saying. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Just reminded, it's not y'all's state or our state, it's his state, amen? Gotcha. The point that I'm making is, is this. I am so honored to be with you this weekend, and it has been a joy to be with your students. I'll say this, and I realize I don't live with them seven days a week, 24 hours a day, but they have been very polite for most of them. I will call out some names. No, I'm just kidding. They have been awesome. Uh, some of them actually let Derek and I actually win bowling yesterday. I won one. He won one. I think they were totally just trying to love on the old people. But the point that I'm making is it's been a great weekend, and I'm so thankful, so thankful, so thankful for the point uh, Wade has been such an encouragement to me as a church planner. Uh, he did this 15 years ago, and, and he's no longer a church planner. He's a pastor, and maybe one day I can grow up and be like you, Wade. But uh, what a joy it is to be with you this weekend. We have been journeying through this idea of next, the next step in our, uh, our faith relationship with Christ, and, and we have been in 2 Timothy this weekend. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. I'm going to invite you to open up to 2 Timothy, and we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then we will end up in 2 Timothy chapter 4. As we go there this morning, um, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, your students have already heard this, so I will um, reteach it to you guys rather quickly. 2 Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy, uh, there, there's, a set, there's a first Timothy, and now we're in second Timothy. And in between first Timothy and second Timothy, Paul has come to the realization that, that his life is coming to an end. He is in prison. Um, things are not looking very good for him. It, it exactly, actually, Paul is okay with where he's at. But what I'm saying is most people would look at his situation and go, he's not in a good place. But he's in prison, and the reason he's in prison is because he's been preaching the gospel. And he is saying to young Timothy in the second letter as well as the first letter, he's saying to young Timothy, check this out. This is what's about to happen. Timothy, I'm about to die, bro. That's how I talk to your teenagers this weekend. Mom, Dad, I'm about to die. Brother, sister, I'm about to die. Church member, I'm about to die. Young person, I'm about to die. And Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, I'm about to die. And if somebody doesn't pick up this ministry, if somebody doesn't take the next step in their faith and take the baton, then guess what? There are going to be tons of churches that we planted, many people that have been impacted by the gospel that will no longer be able to be encouraged, and people will not hear the gospel unless, young Timothy, you pick up this baton. Are you with me? So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at what it says, verse 1. 2 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise, of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And then Paul talks, tells Timothy how he thanks God for whom he served and as, as my ancestors with a clear conscience. And as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And then he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith in verse 5 and a faith that dwelt in your grandmother and your mother. And now I'm sure that dwells in you. And then he says in verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on the hands for the God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love love and self-control and then the beginning of verse 8 says therefore do not be ashamed and so in our first session Friday night I was able to talk to your students about the fact that for us to be able to go to the next step we got to ask ourselves have we handled business first so we started in Genesis chapter 1 and I began to if y'all remember students I hope you remember this would be a really good example that you remembered um, or they shouldn't like thank me at all for coming but you remember we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and when God got through creating something what did he say guys it was what I know y'all are half asleep. I talked to the family back there that had the, what, 18 seventh graders. He said it was still standing. That is impossible. I'd have no idea how that's even possible. But it's good, right? And then in, in Genesis chapter 2, we see when God created man and woman, he said something else. What did he say, guys? It is what? Very good. So what, we're, what, what they realized was is that when God created them and God created you and God, even when he created a rebel like me, he said it was very good. For you bulldogs, did y'all hear that? Even God thought that I was good. But it didn't take long to get to Genesis chapter 3, and we messed it up. We blew it. God puts a man in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, and he says, I want you to work that. Then he puts them in the garden again, and he says, you can have anything and everything, but you can't have this one thing. And what is a church that we always want, especially teenagers? What we can't have. You know who I'm talking about. Parents in this room are like, ooh, I hope they heard that, buddy. Preacher, you preach. No, you cannot have an iPhone 14. It's not even come out yet. We want what we can't have. And what happens was, is God gives us a command. We break that command and something entered this world called sin. And then it separated us. And now God's over here and we're over here. And there's this big honking gap. And remember, young ladies, I'm not talking about the gap where you buy your jeans. I'm talking about a sin gap that separates you from God. And then I explained to them about this beautiful bridge of Jesus Christ. That Christ came, and if you're here today and you don't know Christ, and you've heard us sing songs like Cornerstone, and you're going, Cornerstone, what does that mean? What we're saying is, is as followers of Jesus Christ, our life is based on nothing less or nothing more than Jesus Christ. And that's the bridge. So we had a call of invitation halfway through my first sermon. I wish I could say tons of students got saved. Nobody responded. I was like, man, I might as well go back to Oxford. Just kidding. But then we begin to see God just begin to kind of work. And that's when we got to 2 Timothy 1. And I challenged them and I encouraged them. As, as the word says, I reminded them, look, it was for your grandparents and, and your parents that you came to know Christ. But unlike my story, my parents were not believers. And so I came to know Christ first and then led them to Christ. And so Paul tells Timothy, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. But instead, fan into the flame of that gift that God's given you. As a firefighter, uh, there are three things you need to know about fire. It needs heat, fuel, and oxygen. The Holy Spirit is that which fans in the flame our hearts and our desires to honor him and to please him. But we cannot do it with fear. You remember that, students? And so he told them that I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed. And then we got to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And, and, and I love this passage, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Uh, he says, you then, my child, Paul's talking to Timothy in verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to reach others also. 
And I shared with them that one of the reasons we planted a church in Oxford for all the bulldogs in the room is not because every single person there is lost, but a bunch of people there are lost. And if you look at about the 70,000 people that live in Lafayette County, Oxford, and the university community, you would be probably hard-pressed to find more than 5,000 connected to a local church. So therefore, that means if the math is 70 and there's 65,000 people uh, that aren't church, that means only 5,000 of them are. Are you tracking with me? So I kind of, you remember yesterday I talked about the whole Google thing, and look, if it's on Google, you know it's got to be true. I'm totally kidding. But Google says that Hernando is somewhere between 15 and 16,000 people, and Wade and I kind of had a brief conversation about this. I bet you would be hard-pressed to find more than, say, 4,000, 3,500 people in church in Hernando, Mississippi this morning. So that means that there's about 12,000 or 13,000 people in your hometown that don't know Jesus or at least aren't connected to a local church. And the only way they're going to come to know Christ, and the only way folks in Oxford are going to come to know Christ, and only the way that people in Mississippi are going to come to know Christ, and the only way people in America are going to come to know Christ is not through preachers getting up and preaching, but through discipleship. And I challenge your students this weekend that they need a Paul pointing to them a Timothy. And, and where's Will at? Where's my boy Will? Is Will here? Hey, Will, what's up, man? That, that, that's Paul, y'all. Y'all say hey to Paul. Uh, he was Paul and I was Timothy, so Will poured into me. And then when we got, got us some faithful men, and then when we got, went and got some others, and I taught and showed them that it, through the power of multiplication, that if Paul poured into Timothy and Timothy into faithful men and faithful men into others, that honestly in their lifetime that 7.5 billion people could come to know Christ if that model is never broken. Wouldn't that be awesome? No offense to the generations that come before them. We haven't got the job done, have we? We hope they get the job done, but it will be done because of discipleship. And I challenge them if they're going to take their next step in faith, then they've got to be about discipling. And then we looked at chapter 3 last night. And uh, we looked at this real crazy thing about in the last days, and then we looked in verse 10 of chapter 3. Look at what God's Word says. You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra with the persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So you got to go back to chapter 2, and what does Paul tell Timothy? He says in verse 2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. What has he heard from them in the presence of many witnesses? However you follow my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. And I challenged our students, hey, look, if you follow the real gospel that says lay down your life for Jesus Christ, guess what? There will be persecution. But guess what? God will rescue you as well. And then I challenged them at the end of chapter 3 about God's word. You, however, follow my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering and happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, were persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. But then jump down to verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I didn't get to tell the first service this way, so I apologize, but I challenged our young men. I said, did you hear what that says? And I realized that this text, when we read it now as New Testament Christians, it was intended for Paul to write to Timothy, but it was also intended for us is when we see that, that, this, that, that, that the man of God may be complete, that that man there could actually be a unisex term when it's talking to men and women, but however, he's talking to men first. 
And I challenged them, encouraged them. I said, young men, I said, don't get ugly. Don't get, don't get frustrated with me or don't get mad at me with what I'm about to say because what I'm about to say is kind of ugly. Men are not as serious about the Word of God these days as women are. Somebody said, how can you prove that? I said, well, I can tell you this. This week at Community Church, we will start men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies. And on Monday night, we have a men's Bible study that's walking through God's Word together, and we have 15 men signed up. We have a Tuesday night Bible study where my wife will walk our ladies through the book of Esther, and there's 82 women signed up. Some of the men are like, hey, dude, why you got to bring that up? Because it's a problem. And I can say it, and I'm going to get my 92 Chevrolet pickup truck and go back to Oxford, and you can't do nothing about it. But it's a problem. But he's saying, and what I challenged our students with last night, just not the guys, but also the young ladies, that you got to know God's Word, and you got to fall in love with God's Word. And I shared with them about the fact that in, about nine years ago, I lost my mom to cancer, and, and I said that I love God's Word, and I said that I believe God's Word, but when I lost my mom, and I began to suffer, and I began to deal with this thing called depression, and I began to deal with this thing called grief, the only thing that could save me was God's Word. It became a light unto my path. It became my food for every single day. It helped me understand as I read how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is that when we pray, we don't pray to a God that it might accidentally hit one of these ceiling tiles and we might get a response back. No, we're praying to a God that is holy, that's set apart from any other God, and that God hears our prayers. But in that next verse, it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what God taught me through that verse was, is that guess what? Only I wanted God to heal my mom, and I believed that God was going to heal my mom. But God's kingdom and God's will will always be done. And then it rocked my world to lose my mom. I never forget when she got sick, she uh, called me home, and I came and sat down with her, and she told me, she said, I'm going to die. I said, Mom, we're all going to die. She knows, no, babe, I think cancer is going to take my life. I said, well, Mom, let's not, hadn't started any treatment, anything. I said, why don't we try and see what happens and that kind of thing. She said, well, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I said, well, wait a minute. You're the one going through the pain. You need to decide if you want to do this or not. So we journeyed through that, and she asked me before she ever went in for her first treatment, she said, babe, if I die, will you preach my funeral? I'm like, Mom, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. you my mama. And for the students, they already know this. I'm a mama's boy. Like, I'm not afraid of it. You got a problem with it? Talk to me afterwards. I'm a mama's boy. I love my mama. And I said, Mom, I don't know if I can do this. She said, well, if you were a mechanic, would you want me to take my car to somebody else? <laughs> and if you were a doctor and I was sick, would you want me to go see somebody else? I said, no, Mom. She said, well, good. You're a preacher, and that's what you do. And when I die, you're going to preach my funeral. Yes, ma'am. For the moms in the room, I told your students that mom brought you into this world. Mom can take you out. But the point I'm saying is, is that in that next verse in that Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and that's not just about blessing our food. It means that God will give us everything we need for every single day. And guess where it starts? In his word. Man, you can't make this stuff up. We were just singing, I'll run to you. What's my passage of scripture that I'm reading this morning in my prayer time on my Bible app? Psalms 121. That's God. You can't figure that stuff out. But it's in God's word. Amen? By the way, we got to get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And that's where I'm going to preach for, well, about four minutes. Let's see what happens. <laughs> you should have come to the 9 o'clock if you wanted to get out on time. 
I charge you in the presence of God, verse 1 of chapter 4. I charge, you in the, I, I, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, that by his appearing and his kingdom. Wait for it, church. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the mist. Can I tell you something, church? Hear me say this. Be encouraged that you are a part of a church who has a pastor who preaches the word of God. Can I get an amen? Because trust me, there are tons of churches on TV and around that say that they're a church, but they're not preaching God's word. So guess what, students? This is for you, because I was brought to talk to you, but mom and daddy and grandma and grandpa and auntie and uncle and all them, they're going to get to hear it too. Listen to what God's word says. He says, I charge you. He's saying to Timothy, hey, I charge you, Timothy. And on this Sunday in 2017, in January, you know what God's word is saying to us from Paul to Timothy this morning? He's saying, I charge you, church. I charge you, point. I charge you, teenager. What's he charging them to do? He's saying, be ready. Be ready. To do what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teachings. I live in a town where we get get this question asked all the time. Real quick, church. If you are an Ole Miss fan, I am not asking you to answer this question. But in Oxford, we hear the question all the time. Are you ready? Did you hear me? I said, don't answer it. It is not appropriate to say in church. I'm fixing to hurt some of your feelings. It takes God's name in vain. It uses some words that we're not supposed to use. And if you don't like that, read it and then apply that to God's word. And then you deal with that. My kids, they make up their own words with it. Because they know if they say those words, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. And they might see him in the presence that day. Just a quick funny. I'm not chasing a squirrel, I promise you. But I was in Walmart one time, and this lady was wearing her kid out. Kind of a rather big frame woman. And, and she was wearing this child out, and she said, I'm going to beat you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to beat you in the name of Jesus. And I looked at her, and I said, darling, can I ask you a question? She said, if you don't like it, I'll beat you too. I said, I believe it. I said, why are you beating your child in the name of Jesus? She said, did you not know if you do it in the name of Jesus, you're forgiven? I'm like, ching, ching. My children will tell you we believe in the rod at my house. As my daddy says, I'm going to lay down the thunder and you're going to see the light. But Paul is saying to Timothy, be ready. Be ready to what, church? To preach the word. You know how you get ready to preach the word? You've got to spend time in the word. If our students and you and I are going to take our next step in our faith journey in this thing called life, then we've got to be about God's word. I don't know what the excuse is. I really don't. We got Bible apps. We can put an alarm on it. We can have a verse of the day. We can read the entire book of the Bible, and we don't even have to figure out how to interpret it. It will interpret it for me. How do you think I'm preaching this sermon? I'm not this smart. I got this sermon off the Internet from a guy named David Platt. I'm totally kidding, but I did use his commentary. But the point I'm making is there's no excuse Be ready to what? Preach the word. I got two and a half minutes to preach the rest of the chapter, okay? Then look at verse 5. Be ready. 
But Timothy, Paul also calls Timothy to faithfulness. Look at verse 5. It's for you, always be sober-minded. Some of y'all are sitting here thinking, I said this in the first service, Mr. Ryan was sitting where Miss Shannon is. I said, Bulldog, you like this, don't you? Thinking there's sober people in Oxford. He didn't think that was funny. Y'all didn't either. There are sober people in Oxford. It's for you, always be sober-minded. What does that mean? Think with the right mind. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it, don't get it hazy. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And some of y'all just said, that's your job. That's why we hired Wade and Travis and everybody else. They're the ones who preach Jesus. Wrong. When you gave your life to Christ, you became a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're to preach it every single day. I told your teenagers this. I praise God that tomorrow on Monday when they go back to their influence, their influences and the places uh, that they get to minister and do all that, that they might be the only Bible that somebody sees. Live it well. Amen. We have got to be faithful to preach the gospel. And don't get it twisted. The gospel based on 1 Corinthians 15 says this. The gospel is the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. You can't just preach part of the gospel. You've got to preach all the gospel. And the gospel is what sets us free. Amen? So then, you see, you've got to be ready. You got Timothy is called to be called to a life of faithfulness. And then Paul gives him examples of faithfulness. And this is where we're going to have to land for time. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is saying to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm about to die, bro. It's about to be over. Paul reminded an earlier church in Philippi when he says, check this out. It is better. I'm torn between the two. I can either live or I can die. It is better for me to die, but it's better for you that I stay. Paul didn't have that choice here. So that's where the famous verse comes in Philippians chapter 1. It says, it is to live for Christ is one thing, but to die is even better. I pray that our teenagers and our students and we as adults would get passionate about the fact that it's okay to die if we die in Jesus' name because we're going to live forever. You know why I was able to preach my mom's funeral? Because my mom knew Jesus. I led her to Christ when I was 14 years old. I got to celebrate that. Three people got saved at my mom's funeral. Hey, look, I don't know if you know this or not. I share the gospel at weddings and funerals. You know why? Because there's crowds. And most of them are lost. Don't know Jesus. I can't believe you preach the gospel at a funeral. What? Somebody's dead. I can't help that person. I'm preaching for the living. My mom, when she got sick, she planned everything out. She said, them people ain't going to be looking at me. That thing going to be closed. I said, all right, mama. She said, you put a picture of me and my grandbabies up there, me holding them, me smiling real big. I said, I sure will. People walked through, did the whole thing. I was telling the first service I've heard of a, the, a group of missionaries that were ministering to an unreached people group. And this particular pe- people group, when they turned 60 years old, and look, I turned 40 this month, this, this month, okay? 68 years old as I used to think it was. The 60 folks in the house, y'all know y'all young. Mm-hmm. But at 60 years old, in this particular village, in this people group, they would begin to build their casket. They'd put it on their front porch or on the back porch or next to their house. And that kind of thing. It was a reminder of what? Of death. 
I don't know about you, but I don't think we ought to start a movement this week, Wade, that the folks of Point Church ought to go build caskets and put them on their, on their front porches. But here's the reality. We all are going to die. There's another group, uh, story that I heard of missionaries that back in, I think it was in the 1800s, that were getting ready to sail overseas to a part of Asia, and they knew that they would not return because the gospel would cost them their lives. So they packed all the things that meant the most to them in a coffin because they knew that the gospel was going to cost them their life. My wife and I have had this conversation. I said, baby, when I die, I want you to put me in a pine box. I'm not talking about one of them fancy pine boxes. I'm talking about a cheap one. I saw your pastor's wife just look at her husband and just smile. Mm-hmm, at him, mm-hmm. I mean, why are you going to waste money on us? We dead. And I said, baby, do me a favor. Put a bumper sticker on it. Return to sender. <laughs> Return to sender. Why? Because my life's over at that point. But Will, where yet, Will? Paul poured into Timothy, and Timothy poured into faithful men, and faithful men poured into others. And if that discipleship relationship happens, I'm going to be worth a lot more dead than I am alive. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Take this baton, Timothy. Because my life is over. So there's three things we see, and I'm about to be done. Paul examples of faithfulness to Timothy. Timothy, you see the presence, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I have already, I am being you know why the enemy wants to remind you of your past today, church? It's because that's all he knows. He doesn't know the future. He doesn't get it. We win. Paul is saying, in this presence, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Teenager, I beg you. I told you I wouldn't swap it with you for anything in the world. I mean it. But you get this opportunity. You go live your life out loud for Jesus Christ tomorrow and the next day and the next week. And you pour your life out by loving people and serving people in the name of Christ. And guess what? You will turn Hernando, Mississippi and DeSoto County upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The adults might notice it and they might do the same thing. Second thing we see is not only examples of faithfulness in the present but also the past. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. My time of departure has come. And then he says, I have fought the good fight, verse 7. That's the past. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So you see the present in verse 6. You see the past in verse 7. And you see the verse, the future in verse 8. Look at what it says. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. And what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, my life is over. I'm about to be, I'm, I'm about to be murdered. I'm about to be martyred for my faith. But guess what, Timothy? Your life is just beginning. And if you live your life, guess what? The crown that I'm about to get, because Paul would later say, of the Thessalonica church to be in the absence of this body would mean to be or actually he said it before that he said to be in absence of this body means to be in the presence of the Lord what he's saying is hey look my life's over you got a chance to live but if you live you're gonna get the same reward I get a crown have you ever noticed Christians why people look at us so strange we talk about death and life all the time but we don't live as if we truly have life Paul is saying, Timothy, if you're going to take this next step of faith in this journey of faith, then you've got to live faithfully in the presence. You can't change your past, but hopefully you live faithfully in your past, and you've got to live faithful in your future. I'm going to ask Travis and them to make their way back up. And as they make their way back up this morning, church, I, I want to encourage you this morning. 
some of you are saying it's about time. I want to encourage you this morning to understand that the importance of God's word not only matters in your student's life, but matters in your life. I said this earlier. I had a college student say to me, Wade, he said, what if God chooses to reach Oxford, Lafayette County, and, and Ole Miss through another church? Praise God. Because it's not about me. And guess what, church? It's not about you. It's about him. And so for those in this room that have been walking with the Lord for some time, I want to challenge you this morning. Same way I challenged your students yesterday. Have you made the word of God important in your life? If not, you need to make that commitment today. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. You need to give your life to Christ today. Maybe that doesn't make sense to you. What do you mean give your life to Christ? I mean admit that you're a sinner and that you're far from God and that there's no way that you can get to God. You can't work hard enough. You can't pay enough money. You can't do enough stuff to get there. Only through the grace of Jesus Christ can you have a relationship with him. And Wade and the staff would be more than honored to introduce you to Jesus today. But there's some of you, you've been playing that idea and that game, mind game in your head that I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I don't know if you know this, but Romans says none of us are good, not even one. However, our life being built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ makes us good. And if you're there today and you're going, you know what, I hadn't been taking it for real. And I need to go to the next level. Man, this altar will be open for you. And I pray this morning that God does what he wants to do in your life.